What is our true self? How, once we identify that, how can we care more effectively for each other? What most helps us connect in a genuine community? If we find that, how do we make valuable contributions to a genuine Christ-following community? Our passage last week ended with built, the church building itself up in love. How do we build ourselves up in love? That's Paul's questions he's trying to answer, get us to think about related to putting on the new true self. What is it? What is our true self? How can we care most effectively for each other? What most helps us connect in genuine community? How can we make valuable contributions so that the whole body is building itself up in love? The new true self. Last week was the passage we just, I just alluded back to, cooperating, growing, and, and then ending with commit to the process, which was this week's, that's this week's lesson, the second half of chapter four, that we would commit to this process of growing up and out of immaturity. That's not a guarantee. You physically grow up. Many of us never emotionally do. Most of humanity, it appears, never spiritually does. So the emotional and the spiritual are kind of optional. <laughs> you have to intentionalize it. The physical just happens. You grow up and then you grow down. <laughs> and you go back to the dust from which you came. But the other ones, they, they have to be more intentional. And the church is supposed to be the example of people who have discovered God's way of restoring the true self, are taking ownership of it, and are growing up. Showing people what humanity can be and what it was created to be. We have to commit to that process because it is a lifelong process. You never finish. You're doing this until your body returns to the dust from which it came. So, we're in this section of Ephesians that's the walking section. Really, chapters 4, 5, and the first part of uh, chapter 6. Um, he does mention, don't walk in the ways of this world, chapter 2. They're all right there. Do walk in good works. That's bracketing that, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast. For we are created to do good works. But then chapter 4, verse 1, the real transition, in light of all this incredible stuff God has done for us in Ephesians 1 through 3, raising us up with Christ, seating us with him in the heavenly realms, walk worthy. And if we're going to walk worthy of that calling, which was more last week's lesson, then we have a don't walk in the futility of a darkened mind. Think about it like this. What's the key to getting up on time and getting to your job? Don't stay up too late. <laughs> it's not really, it's, you have to not do something to put you in a position where you can do more consistently what God wants you to do. And you can soldier through it and stay up late and get up early 
and make you, th and you can think it's working, how long does that work before you just really start to break down? You really have to intentionalize, you gotta stop something to really put you in a position to be able to do this good thing. You can do both for a while, but the thing you need to stop is chipping away at your ability to do the thing you need to do. And the, so don't walk in the futility of a darkened mind. This is, uh, Ken just read it. The futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding. So four D's for you on the back of the bulletin so you don't fall into spiritual PTSD. So you're not traumatized and unable to walk in your life. But the first one is, is a don't, right? Don't coast. Don't coast. How many of you have gotten healthier by coasting? How many of you have gotten stronger by coasting? Does that ever happen? It never happens. That doesn't mean don't rest. <laughs> That's a different thing. Even your resting needs to be intentional. What we're talking about is your intention. And it's just so easy to just be like, uh, just check out. And, that, and when we do that, it's not even like we're intentionally resting. We're just coasting. We're just becoming more and more passive. And God has called us to take more and more ownership and be more and more actors. Because when you coast, then your lesser nature just kind of pulls you down into its rhythm. And certain things start to happen. Number one, it takes a lot of intentionality to think the way God thinks. <laughs> to think biblically. People don't, we don't do this left to our fallen nature. We have to intentionalize it. And if you, if your intentionality of how you get rest is just to scroll through social media and check all your news feeds, you're not thinking biblically. <laughs> it's just, it takes more intentionality than that. That's not even resting. Most of us have done enough of that to realize, man, I feel more empty after I was done than when I started. But we keep doing it. And it's just this generation's way by which the world just kind of sucks you into its rhythm. And it's the futility of a darkened mind. Futility is used in Romans 8.20, where it says, all creation has been subjected to futility. One rabbinical saying was, as in the world, so in the person. As in the person, so in the world. And you see this with this idea of futility. So as Paul's looking out at creation in Romans 8, and saying creation has been subjected to futility. And then Paul's here in Ephesians to say, well, you know what? We're subjected to futility in our minds. You will not rise above this futility by working out harder. You will not rise above this futility by making sure you don't get the coronavirus. You will not rise above this futility through political diatribes. You can only rise above this futility by, in short, putting off the old self and putting on the new self. 
Will that, will that inform how you take care of your health? Will that inform how you respond to the coronavirus? That will inform your politics? Sure. But most of us are more upset by these other things and then try to grab our faith to help us manage them. All creation subjected to futility. It's not going to be managed. So, don't let that trap your mind. You may think you're taking action because you're all churned up about stuff, but you're actually just coasting the way the world has always coasted. It's not the way the apostles went about changing the world. It's all these things I just talked about. To the Hebrew people, this idea of futility was linked with a lot of things, but perhaps first and foremost was idols, the futility of idolatry. Also destruction, lack of restraint, the futility of not having self-mastery. Magic, <laughs> sorcery, futility. And even, and this is how discouraged he got, because he actually thought so clearly, but didn't own it in his heart, Solomon said, everything under the sun is subjected to futility. It's all futility apart from your creator. So the Hebrew people, generally speaking, were like, well, idolatry is futility, okay? Magic, sorcery, that's futility. Solomon was like, yes. <laughs> but unfortunately, you've got to dig deeper. Everything is futility. It's like trying to be Morpheus in the Matrix. <laughs> You're in a prison of your mind. All I have to offer you is the truth. Futility. And Satan is the one who seeks to darken the mind and keep us hung up in all this futility of thinking. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, The God of this age has darkened our minds. Satan does not want you thinking clearly, informed by God's word, and taking intentionality to, to do that every day. Put off the futility of thinking put on the mind of Christ. That's the last thing he wants you to do. Later in this passage, we will find that he does not want you emoting honestly either. He doesn't want you doing either one, much less pulling them together and both thinking through what you feel after Christ and feeling through what you think after Christ. And this whole darkening of our understanding of what comes through our mind, and it's all dark and ignorant and futile, is there, and Paul will come back to this later, because of we're not smart enough. We need to study more systematic theology. Study systematic theology. <laughs> We need to study more Hebrew and Greek. Go ahead, that's awesome. But that's not why it's there. And that can't cure it. 
if you're not willing to realize my heart is hard. My heart, my affections, my desires are out of step with God's. And if I don't get that right, I will never think clearly. And they work together. But Paul says it. This darkening of their understanding, which alienates from the life of God, this ignorance that is in them is due to lack of information. Now, hardness of their hearts. And that hardness of their hearts that alienates us from the life of God, which Paul said that in chapter 2 also, we are alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. We are alienated from his promise. Without hope, without God in the world. We have all this stuff in us that is alienating us from God every day, and you still have it in you as the believer. It doesn't control your destiny anymore. When you leave this world, if you know Jesus, he's going to take care of it. But as far as your day-to-day walk and the meaning of your day-to-day walk versus the futility of your day-to-day walk, this is the battle. Is how do I get that cured? How do I connect with my new true self? I can't coast because when I coast, my heart starts to become hard. And that prevents my clear thinking, and it leads to things, and Paul talks about them. It leads to sensuality. And really, the whole idea of sensuality is self-abandonment. Since everything's futile, eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we die. Just live for the peak experience. Chase the peak experience. Don't ever let yourself think that, wow, maybe the key to life is I need to wake up every morning and grind it out. No, 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 that's not life. Peak experience, peak experience, peak experience. And God gives us peak experiences. You may have them sometimes when you're worshiping or just on, you're just driving your car and all of a sudden, you know, God just shows up in your car, right? Or you go on a mission trip or whatever it is. That, the problem is not the peak experiences. We need them and they're encouraging. But when you start chasing them, then... It's a law of diminishing returns because it's just the old man chasing a high. And you start abandoning the grinding out of self-control, self-mastery, that gateway to all the fruit of the Spirit. Who needs to practice self-mastery when you're feeling it? (laughs) It's when you don't feel it. And that's actually the bigger battle of faith. And if you're just chasing the experiential high of kind of losing yourself in the moment, that's awesome when that happens. All right. Provided it's done rightly. And when you just start chasing that, we don't realize we're doing this, but we all do it. Well, God's just, you're morphine. <laughs> Marx wasn't totally wrong when he said religion is opiate of the masses. It's just what people do, can't cope with life, and they just, that's their drug. And we talked about it in Sunday school. He was half right, which is the worst kind of being wrong. <laughs> but many of us, God is nothing more than a painkiller. And so what happens when the pain stops? We stop focusing on God. 
And when you go down that road, that creates insatiable desires because it's a, every addiction, every attempt to simply self-medicate pain is a law of diminishing returns. It always takes more <laughs> to get the same level of relief. And you can get addicted to anything, but some of the worst addictions to cure, because they're hard to even notice, are addictions to your own neurochemistry. Because you're not taking a substance in. And this is what Paul is talking about when you, with the futility of thinking, your heart's not in the right place, so it's getting harder, and you become given up to sensuality, self-abandonment, greedy, but it's not really primarily greedy for money, that comes up, but it's the ESV gets it very well, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. It's this insatiable desire toward the unclean. We have an English word, catharsis, right? And that's clean. So we're, we're seeking some peak experience or catharsis, but it's actually not cathartic. <laughs> it actually contaminates you more. And it just spirals into this greed to chase more and more peak experiences that are actually contaminating your soul. And the idea of impurity here especially focuses on our sexuality. But it's not just our sexuality. The idea is not primarily greedy for money or just greedy for sex. Those are two of the biggest kinds of greed. But it's this hunger, just this greed, that cannot be satisfied when you try and address it that way. And so what ends up happening is you go beyond what is proper for one to do. And as you do that, you start affecting other people adversely. And if, you don't, if you're not aware of that, it's one thing to struggle with an issue. It's another thing that I struggle with an issue to a point it starts adversely affecting someone else. Then the next increment down is, well, you love me, so deal with it. Because if you love me, you'll accept me the way I am. Okay, well, yeah. Jesus accepts us the way we are, but he doesn't just leave things unaddressed in us. And I'm not talking about you going there and saying, see, we're not supposed to leave things unaddressed and then go after other people. I'm talking about you saying, we're not supposed to leave, leave things unaddressed, so address yourself. Because when you don't, you slowly start to demean the value of the other people around you who you are inflicting this on. <laughs> and you're just like, whatever, deal with it. And that might be really small for most of us, and hopefully it is, and I look out in our congregation and I think it is relatively small because I think most, I know you, I think you love Jesus, you're trying to do this, but we have to call it what it is. This greed causes us to commodify and objectify other people. In extreme examples, that's slavery. And slavery, I know in our country it's white-black. It's not really white-black. I mentioned it even during Black History Month. It's you know, the British oppressing the Irish. It's Rwanda. It's basically you want something, other people are available to help you satisfy that desire in yourself, so you objectify them, you commodify them. It could be pornography. 
to fulfill that desire in you, that's so destructive to the image of God within all of us that now we have to rationalize in the futility of our darkened mind why that person isn't really a person or why they're not as much a person as I am. And then once you do that, you start justifying it. And you'll grab whatever, or they're the wrong political party, or they're the wrong skin tone, or they're the wrong gender, or they're the wrong economic class, or they're the wrong you know, country. It, it, this is what goes in our mind, but we're just greedy for satisfying ourselves, and we start to demean and objectify other people. And ultimately, when God became human, that's what we did to him. We said, you're worth 30 pieces of silver. Here's how much you're worth to me, God. You're my slave. That's what a slave was worth. And that Zechariah predicted it 500 years before Jesus. And then you find out, oh, that's the average price of a slave. 30 pieces of silver. See, we objectify and commodify God. <laughs> so of course we do it to everybody else. And that will never satisfy you. You will have a continual desire for more, and eventually you'll resent the people, and ultimately even God, who can't satisfy you. Because they never could. You did that to them. I did that to them. And though this is much less in degree, and again, I'm being very direct, I think you guys are great, all right? But we're all struggling with this to varying degrees. And though it is less in degree, it is exactly what the unclean spirits do. That's this word, the demons. They're, they're just seeking rest, but they totally objectify and commodify and destroy the personhood of other people as they seek rest. Well, I don't think we want to end that way. <laughs> But that's the way the old self ends. Every time. Eventually. It's not a matter of saving the old self. So don't coast and don't just let that slowly corrode you. Do connect with your new true self. In other words, put off the old, put on the new. It's like you use that PTSD analogy, and I'm not trying to make light of PTSD. In general, what happens in PTSD is, think ultimate example, soldier on the front lines, people getting blown to bits in front of him. Oh my God, his body just kind of takes over and is just trying to survive and maybe think enough to fulfill the mission. So he doesn't have time to feel. So he's got this gut-level threat, and it's truly an existential threat going on, and it's shocking, and it's happening in crazy speed. You got tacky psyche going on where everything's slowing down because the brain is facing so much adrenaline, it's speeding up. Athletes sometimes experience this because things are so intense on the ball field for a brief second. Soldiers get this where so much adrenaline is dumping. Where are your adrenal glands? Do you know? What's that? They're right by your kidneys. Shoot it right into your bloodstream. Right? Okay. Just boom. Gut. Threat. Adrenaline. 
you don't have time to process all that. So your mind just gets into this whirling thing of assessing everything in the sense of, I want to be safe, and it will take over. And that kind of mentality destroys you over time because you're not processing it. And, there are t and it's actually, in certain scenarios, given the way the world is, a good thing because it keeps you alive. But it has to be processed. And the processing isn't, let me think more about this by itself. It's an awareness thing, but it's, it really is, and this is a deeper level for people, it's a, let me feel through this so that I can process this stuff that kind of went from here to here because this is my command center and this is meant to keep me safe. I, don't even, I never let myself feel it. And so my heart just gets hardened. It still has needs. So if you're going to put off the old and put on the new, you have, to, you have to ask the question, what is our true self? And here's the thing. You're looking out at all of creation to find the answer. You're looking down. You, and I said this in Sunday school, humans, people, are the epitome and wonder of God's creation. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so when we're looking out at all this stuff to fill us up, we're looking down. We're selling ourselves cheap. And to put off that old self and put on the new and get rid of that trauma, the, the T, you got to take off the mask. There is a way that we've been trying to cope with life since we were pre-verbal that, there's how Paul says it, and this includes direct lying, but I want to unpack that a little bit more. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Here's your question. Why do we lie? Think about it. Go back. Why do we lie? Because we're afraid of the truth. Because we're afraid of the truth. It could just be, look, I still have a conscious memory of the first lie I consciously remember. <laughs> I was like four. <laughs> and we had these little Dixie cup paper Dixie cups in our bathroom if you're old enough to remember those dispensers, and my mom used them. Um, and I went in the bathroom to get water, and I, I don't know, I was four, you know, roughly, and I just decided that these things were awesome. And I think I like, filled up and drank like 25 of them, and then left these crumpled cups all over the bathroom. And I went back into the garage where some of the neighbor kids were playing. I was just playing with the kids, and you know, however much later, 10 minutes later, whatever, my mom comes out in the garage, Conrad! <laughs> Did you take all these Dixie cups? <laughs> no. But I still feel what I felt at that moment. That, oh, I'm scared, so I'm trying to protect myself. And some part of me died. I felt it then. I remember it. And I'm sure it's not the first lie I told. It's the last one. I never told another lie. <laughs> since I was, until <laughs> just now, right now. <laughs> but I remember how that felt. 
so the truth, yes, mom, I, I drank the cups. It's, but it, it's not, my goal wasn't really, I'm trying to deceive my mom. My goal was I'm trying to protect myself. Now, later on, we can get calloused of heart, and people can get very skilled at manipulating that and lying to you to sell you swampland in Florida or whatever. But most of us, most of the time when we lie, we're not that calloused about it. We're scared. So we lie. Now look, that doesn't mean, so it's not so bad. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there's the sin nature, which is demonic, and will drag you to that point where you're openly manipulating people to take advantage of them and prey upon them. But then there's the wounded insecurity in us. But when you don't deal honestly with other people, with what's going on in your heart, you're not just hurting you. We are members of each other. We're hurting each other. What most helps us connect in genuine community? Saying what you really feel. Processing it. And we have for so long felt that spike of threat, started hyper-analyzing about how do I keep myself safe, that we don't even talk about it anymore. I think a lot of times we don't even know how. And here's the way you spiritualize it. Oh, well, you can't trust your emotions anyway. Come on, man, suck it up. Think. Well, okay, you know what? If I'm in the battlefield and my buddy just got blown to pieces, but the rest of them are going to die if I don't act right now. Yes. But we need time to process and engage and take that mask off and stop lying to each other. Of course, stop just outright lying with the intent to deceive. But when you really dig into this passage, Paul's not just talking about that. He's saying we need to get authentic with each other. This speak the truth in love, it really has the idea of deal truly with each other. You have to speak truth, take off the mask, speak truth, stop lying to one another, for we're members of one another, Develop emotional honesty. How do we make valuable contributions to a genuine Christ-following community? When you can have emotional honesty about what the Word of God says, so it's not futile thinking about all these human desires, but you can do it in a way that helps people say, this person's for me. They can talk about what they're really struggling with, what they're really feeling, and feel like, oh, I don't have to be on my guard around you. I can be authentic with you. Because the number one thing that happens, so I said, why do we lie? Now take another step back real quickly. For what purpose does anger exist? Okay, because anger is not an innate attribute of God. Right? You don't see the fruit of the Spirit as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, wrath. No. But God experiences anger. It's not a continual state of his being, but it's something that he experiences, he processes, and it goes. So what is the purpose of anger? 
It probably has many, but what is kind of like the overarching purpose of anger? Okay, protect what is worth protecting. Nancy. An honest, forthright confrontation. You got hours. <laughs> What's that? Ken. I got hours. He's with me. Ken, we're going to make people angry. <laughs> sure, so adrenaline gets moving. So the purpose of anger is actually to establish truth. Correct injustice. Practice justice, love mercy, walk humbly with our God. Anger is just passion. Anger is just adrenaline, if you want to put it in a physical term. But why is it there? It's really this idea of indignation, truly righteous indignation, the idea of to correct a wrong. Right? It's just that our indignation is almost never righteous. It just presumes it is. So our anger doesn't bring about the righteous kind of life that God desires. And here's why. Paul doesn't say, don't get angry. That's impossible. Everybody has anger because everybody has passion. Your body has physiological responses to things, and those are pictures of things in our soul. So think about these verses and everything about putting on the new self. Put away the falsehood, take off the mask, speak the truth with each other, your members of one another, be angry, but don't sin. Okay, so why does anger exist? That's more of a theological question. From a counseling perspective, most counselors will say anger is almost always a secondary emotion. It's not really the first thing you feel. There are a couple of times in life, if someone's trying to haul your kid off to sell them into the sex trade, that you will experience righteous indignation as a primary emotion to deal with that. Most of the time, that's not what's going on with our anger. It's not a primary emotion. It's a secondary emotion. You scared me, how dare you? But rather than saying, wow, I'm scared. We communicate, how dare you? Because we don't want to admit we're scared. Anger makes us feel strong. Emotional honesty makes us feel vulnerable. So we don't communicate the primary emotion. We may not even know what it is anymore. We've buried it for so long. We communicate anger. And when you do that, and you're not really communicating what's actually going on inside of you, you're communicating anger, you sin. You miss. And you're sending your brother or sister in Christ down a rabbit trail. Because now they're thinking, well, you're angry, but, well, you're showing anger, but it's not really what's going on inside of you. We're not really connecting. And this kind of unresolved anger, this is the number one cause of depression, especially in men. It's not the only cause, but as far as, you know, nurturing types of causes, choices we make, it's the number one cause, at least last time I researched it. And that kind of anger, here, spiritually, what does it do? Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. 
give no opportunity to the devil. If you don't deal with your primary emotions and hide behind the secondary emotion of anger, the devil is just getting footholds deep into your soul. And you're going to find that anger harder and harder to deal with. So now you're struggling with anger. If you struggle with anger, it is probably not anger that is your real struggle. We need to get honest with each other. Because we need to desire basic integrity like strength to build on now this shows up in a couple ways and they don't really take long when he says desire basic integrity here's how you start like biblically giving yourself spiritual therapy don't steal anymore but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need a good work ethic And when he says work with your hands, his idea is hard labor. It's where we get our English word copious labor. For the Hebrew people, when they talked about this, it was you are physically worn out even to the point of losing consciousness. That's what he's talking about with working. So how do we work today? We sit in our cubicles. (laughs) We sit in front of a computer. We don't physically move which helps you process all this stuff. We were created to do basically landscaping work. You have to work hard. And to the point of, you know, what does Solomon say after spending his lifetime sitting in his cubicle analyzing everything? He said, the sleep of the laborer is sweet. The rich man tosses and turns on his bed all night. You have to physically move but it's not just that that's true and so that's not going to happen in today's world so you need to build that into your life appropriate to your health consult your doctor you all the disclaimers so you don't sue me okay before you start any exercise regimen please consult your physician (laughs) work hard but then you're not cheating the system anymore so much of our mind is about how we beat the system and Paul's like, just stop it. Stop trying to beat the system. Half of you are literally slaves. Stop trying to beat the system. Just work hard and do this so you can give more to others. Oh, and while you're doing that and you're just physically exhausted, courteous speech. Is this what you see on the construction crew? No. Is this what you see in people that have to work physically very hard? No. But when we can be exhausted and have courteous speech, now you're starting to engage some deep stuff. It seems simple, but it's not simple. It's profound. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. I'm sorry I was tired. Okay, and when people need to be gracious. So if, someone, if someone's exhausted and they cuss you out because they're exhausted, you be gracious to them, but that person needs to own that. The tiredness does not create the problem. It masks your ability to hide it. (coughs) 
Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Corrupting is like the bad, rotten tree that produces worthless fruit. It's used, this corrupting is used of stones that you can't build with or of rotting wood that you can't build with. Do you see what he's heading here? The purpose of words is to build. The purpose of your speech is to build. To build yourself, to build others. If you're using rotten words, you're using rotten materials. It's not going to build well. All of that allows you to delight in the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Here's the first thing you should be thinking of. Not, I want to achieve this, I want to achieve that. I want the Holy Spirit to be happy in me. <laughs> I want my home, my body, to be a place where the Holy Spirit is happy, not sad. That doesn't sound all that deep. It's really deep. <laughs> I just want the Holy Spirit to be happy here, not sad. Don't grieve him. And if you just start with that, not do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. There are the do's, there are the don'ts, they're right in the sermon here. But he's coming around to, see, it's the heart. <laughs> I, st- I don't want the Holy Spirit that sealed me for redemption to be sad. So I need to give the Holy Spirit a better environment and he'll help me do it. He just said, be angry, but don't sin. And he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, all the diatribe on social media. Someone's wrong on the internet. You know, and how we get spiked up about that. Put it away from you. Along with all malice. And that's the idea of make sure that you are for people. Every people. <laughs> if, you, if someone gets you so upset you're no longer for them, you need to take a step back. Our struggle's not against flesh and blood. That's what he's ultimately heading to. You've got to be for people, not malicious Be kind to one another. Kind is just pleasant, benevolent. Tenderhearted is compassionate. Originally, this term is found from Hippocrates. Who's Hippocrates? Hippocratic Oath. Do you know who? He's kind of the father of medicine. Okay. Hippocrates took this term, and it literally, there's, there's a secret wisdom here, kind of we're starting to see it, It literally meant healthy intestines. (laughs) Tender-hearted. Healthy gut. Our gut. You know, most of the serotonin in your body is produced in your gut. Where are the adrenaline glands? On your kidneys. When you have those bowels of compassion, <laughs> is how it's said in the old way, then when you're tender-hearted, then you're kind, you're pleasant, you're benevolent. You're for people, there's no malice. And you're able to forgive one another, respond graciously as God and Christ responded graciously to you. Put off the old self. Put on the new self. Yes, think clearly. Process emotionally. Be transparent. Figure out what's going on in your gut. 
That's all areas of awareness for us. And they all have different things to say. And they're all infected by sin. And they all need to be put off, but not destroyed, put on the new self. The one that God created you to be. In his image, in true righteousness and holiness. Delight in the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. Help us to put off the old self and put on the new self in every way. Help us to be authentic and real with each other and gracious. And help us to own our words and to use them to build both ourselves and others up, not to tear down. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.